You're listening to The Design Jones, sorted by SiteGround, Wacom, Computer Arts and Adobe. This is episode 44. Welcome to Design Jones. Today we're joined by graphic designer and brand consultant Julia Williams. Good day, Julia. Hello. How are you today? Yeah, not bad, not bad, despite the slightly terrible weather for Easter, but it is a bank holiday after all, isn't it? To kick us off, what was your journey like into the creative industry? Um, I suppose I was one of those people that always liked art at age five. I wanted to be an artist. Um, won a lot of colouring competitions. Age 11, I actually um, won a graphic design competition for a no-smoking leaflet, and I didn't realise at that point that it was graphic design, but I kind of got to produce a professional leaflet at that point. Did art through school, ended up on foundation, um, and then went and did a, uh, a graphic design degree. On foundation, though, I thought I'd be an illustrator, because I still wasn't really un- you know, clear what a graphic design degree was, and I kind of thought you know, I'd be more suited to graphics and illustration. Um, got pushed onto the degree course there, and went into the world of work. What was it like going from that education into the industry and how was your first job? Um, The first job I had, I I worked at BBC Worldwide um, in magazine publishing. So I I suppose it's always a bit of a shock, isn't it, going into the working world after being a student because uh, real deadlines and uh, people have opinions about your work that aren't your own opinions. But at BBC Worldwide, I guess I was, um, my, my skill set was brought up to speed, let's just say, because um, working in publishing has deadlines all the time. So you had to be quite quick and, and know what you were doing. But they, they were a lovely team and um, yeah, it was a really nice start to the industry. And then from there, I um, went on to Johnson Banks Branding and Design um, Agency, which was quite different again because branding is much of a more considered process than publishing, I suppose, or magazine publishing, certainly at that time. Um, so you've got more time to think about your ideas um, and more time to refine things. But again, you still had, you had to get used to working with clients and always tend to choose the idea, you, you know, it was your least favourite. So you have to make sure you're, you're presenting a set of ideas that are all your favourites, things like that. You were at Johnson Banks for 16 years. How much did you see the industry change through that period? I suppose it evolved quite a lot um, when we started at Johnson Banks. Um, you, you didn't really use the internet very much. You didn't have things like iStock to get pictures from. So you'd have photo shoots all the time or you had to take your own photos for visuals and mock-ups. So everything took a lot longer. I suppose when I first started at um, Johnson Banks, it was a lot more print-based, obviously. And um, we didn't. it wasn't branding when I started as such. And we sort of branding developed in Johnson Banks while I was there. We probably did a lot of a lot more annual reports and posters back in the old days. In the early days of branding, I, I, I feel like clients were, I suppose these days clients are more savvy about branding and what and they know what they want more. Whereas in the early days, I think they're very much guided by us really on, on the branding stakes. And I think things like uh, verbal and visual branding were a lot more separate than they are now. I mean, I, you know, I always quite like the idea it's um, done in tandem. So uh, the verbal affects the visual and vice versa. Um, whereas um, to begin with, it's quite often one agency was doing the strategy and then we were employed to do the visual side of things. But it's much much easier now and more connected when it's all joined up. You've now moved on from Johnson Banks and set up as your own mm-hmm. setup. 
what inspired your move? Well, I've been there 16 years, so I suppose, you know, it, it was time, time to move on. And my, uh, my life was changing and we were expecting our first child. So we wanted to have a more flexible working life balance, I suppose. I wanted to take a bit of time off parental leave and um, wanted to set up a studio with my other half so we could be flexible in terms of um, looking after our baby and being nearer to home, I suppose, as well. You've only been set up for a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. What have you found different to when you first joined the industry to now? That's a difficult question. Um, being we, we can be more flexible as we are our own bosses now. You know, my working hours would be, you know, I can go out in the day, but I'll be working in the evening. Um, so that that's that's different because I would have been sitting at a desk from nine till six when I was at Johnson Banks or plus six, depending on the project. But, you know, it's nice to balance things like, you know, I can do some teaching as well and have the flexibility to do that I can um, you know we, we run the coordinist and we, we're both bloggers so that gets fitted into our working week as well um, so it's just a more organic process I suppose. From all of your past jobs what's been those projects that have really stood out to you no matter how small or big they were which ones really left an impact with you? When I was at Johnson Banks I obviously worked with some great clients and our focus in the branding years was arts, culture, not-for-profit clients. I suppose one of my favourites um, probably was when we rebranded Brighton Dome and Brighton Festival. Having an arts client was a dream. They were, they were so open to good ideas. You can design a set of posters for the arts, you know. Isn't that every designer's dream? And for the festival every year, you'd have to come up with a, a new campaign for the guest director. And then that campaign was painted on walls and junction boxes all over Brighton by street artists. It, it was just a really fun process and you know, a, lo- a lovely, lovely project. Um, but then conversely, maybe looking at some of the charity stuff, um, Auntie Nolan, the Leukemia and Blood Cancer Charity. Oh, gosh, that was probably eight years ago now. Worked out as a very strong brand, which they still using fairly consistently now and that helped um, I think it upped their fundraising by nearly 50% in the first year so to actually have that impact on an organisation that's doing good you know helping people that are ill that's that's kind of one of those warm fuzzy feelings isn't it when you get to help people through your job. As you mentioned the there's a lot of focus from your work is on those kind of mission-led companies Mm -hmm. how important do you think it is for designers to take on those sort of projects? There's, you know, design is needed for all, all sorts of organisations, isn't there? Um, I think it's important to be able to, to help companies um, that are making a difference in, in a good way. It's good to use, use our skills to, to help with that process. I mean, there is there's quite a lot of bad design out in the world. Um, so it's, it's good to cut through um, to do good rather than to help promote something bad, isn't it? <laughs> You already mentioned that you do some teaching. Obviously, you teach at uh, St. John Martins, W University, Kingston School of Art, uh, Croydon School of Art, and also you've been involved with DNAD. Mm-hmm. How have you found getting involved with the education side of it? And have you seen that as very different to what your experience was of it? Um, I think it varies um, quite a lot from art school to art school. You know, some of the courses are huge, some are tiny, some have lots of resources, some don't have any. But it's, it's interesting to see the, the spectrum on, on various courses. Um, I've also, I also enjoy teaching. It's good to get a new perspective on things and I think it's nice to be challenged by the, the generation coming out. Um, equally, they, they can teach me things um, that I wouldn't know about as well. And yeah, it's, it's kind of quite inspiring to see how other people's minds work um, when you're working on a brief together. 
Is there anything from Jeetan that's kind of opened your eyes to something that you wouldn't probably have seen if you didn't teach? Oh, probably lots of things to do with tech um, that someone needs to get me up, up to speed on who's younger than me. <laughs> they help me out. <laughs> as you also mentioned, that do a lot of blogging as well, mm-hmm. and obviously you've set up recording this. Mm-hmm. How did you get the idea of setting it up? And what's been some of the stuff that you found out from doing it that you kind of probably wouldn't have stumbled across just even just living in Mm-hmm. Um, well, I've lived in Croydon all my life, so I call myself a Croydon native. And I, Croydon quite often perceived quite negatively by people who perhaps haven't been here or even people who do live here. Um, you know, things people seem to know about Croydon. It's like Kate Moss was from here. Oh, gosh, wasn't it the riots there? Isn't it all just concrete? Um, everyone's got a Croydon facelift hairstyle. And, you know, I think everyone thinks they might come and get stabbed here or something. I, I don't know. Um, so I suppose I've spent years and years telling my friends outside Croydon how great Croydon is, you know, come here, come here, it's got these quirky things going on. And so I finally got round to formalising that somehow and, and set up the Croydonist with Angela, my other half. So Angela's not a Croydon native, she's um, originally from East London um, and she took quite a bit of persuading to move here. But I've converted her so she's now a Croydon convert. <laughs> and it's just, it's just um, once you immerse yourself in a community, you know, surprising even from living here that you don't know things like this. There's a windmill up the road, you know. Elizabeth I used to travel to Croydon and, you know, chill out in the Crocus Valley, which was here. That's what Croydon means, Crocus Valley. So she used to come here and enjoy, enjoy the beautiful valleys um, in those times. Um, yeah, so there is a, there's a, a history going way back. You know, we had the first, uh, first London airport in Croydon, which is now a museum down the road. Yeah, there's just, I could probably go on and on. There's so many things. It's got a great street art scene here. Um, it's the birthplace of uh, various different musical genres uh, from punk to grime. You know, you could probably um, pick any country in the world and you'd be able to find some cuisine to eat here in Croydon. It's a very diverse borough, but equally it's quite a green borough as well. Um, and there's also a lot of great people doing um, things in Croydon, um, trying to sort of uh, make it a more interesting and cultural community and I think that's probably grown up grown up since the uh, 2011 riots people kind of wanted to make a difference here and it, it feels like kind of a nice bit of an arty hub now and it's kind of radiating out a bit because obviously we're in the centre so it's kind of getting the outskirts they're doing things now as well so there's lots of festivals going on as well it's, um, how do you find fitting it in around the working day uh, when I was at Johnson Banks, I suppose it ended up being I was doing it in the evenings. Um, now, I, you know, I'm lucky I can pop out as and when, so I can have interviews and stuff in the daytime. Um, but yeah, it just kind of sl- slots slots around um, my other design work, and I guess, I guess probably it crosses over uh, the work the work life divide because um, you end up sort of doing social things and thinking, oh, we should write about that now. So it's kind of always in the back of your mind, isn't it? Uh, you could blog about it. <laughs> What's next to the Croydonist? In our first year, it was all about um, the written word blogs. Um, when we turned one, we tried our hands at a few events. So uh, we had a charity gig night for our first birthday, and we've got another charity gig night coming up for our second birthday on May the 5th. And then we also did a Instagrammer's walking tour of Croydon last year, um, which took quite a lot of planning for the history. It was comparing kind of the history of 60s Croydon to now and looking at the evolution of it. But that went down really well and we'd like to do more, more walking tours. Um, but we're also just about to start our own podcast series as well. So watch this space on that, that front. If you were to kind of go back and speak to your younger self when you were 
first getting into design, mm-hmm. what kind of advice would you give to yourself? Um, would you try and do anything differently? Again, another very difficult question because uh, it's that, that butterfly effect thing. If you were to change something in the past, it would alter your path to your, your current, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the direction my career has gone. I've, you know, I've worked for some uh, wonderful organisations in design. I suppose going back to maybe I, sh- I should have probably taken um, I, sh- I should have um, probably made more use out of the facilities when I was a student and been able to you know immerse myself more in like, the printmaking and photography dark rooms and things um, you, you kind of just take it for granted that it's there and then suddenly you're out in the world and it's not so easy to access those, those areas um, to sort of hone your skills I suppose I'm not sure about any other advice I suppose I was I feel like I was quite naive as I left college but it, it worked out. I think students are a bit more savvy these days, thanks to the internet and being able to follow blogs and stuff, which we, we didn't have that when I was graduating. I think our third year um, tutor handed us the creative directory as a book and said, here's, here's the design um, agencies you can look at. And then you went on dial-up internet. They might have had a website if you were lucky. And then you go, oh, do I like that project? Oh, yeah, that looks quite cool. Let's, let's contact them. <laughs> more of an animal process. Yes, yeah. I think we hand-posted most of our CVs and portfolios as well. (laughs) Moving through into our last question, where do you think the industry's going to be heading and what do you think is going to be that thing that moves it into its next kind of phase? Hmm. Well, I I suppose um, this year, with it being 100 uh, years since the first uh, female vote, I think... I think women need to take a more of a, a central role to, well, probably all industries, but design industry as a culprit as well. I mean, uh, university, I think generally it's 60, 40 girls to boys. And then where do, where do all the women go as, as they climb the ladder? It's partly a problem with the government in terms of childcare that it tends to fall to the, to the, uh, to the women. It would be great to see a more flexible environment for women to thrive in more senior positions in the design industry. And uh, it's a very timely debate at the moment. In terms of where the design industry is heading, I mean, it's really hard to know with technology revolutions. Everything's happening so quickly. There's new things all the time. Everything becomes faster and faster. Who knows what social media will turn into in just a couple of years? You know, things like from a branding perspective... If you look at just logos, they've been simplified over the last few years because of social media, I would say, because everyone needs to have a mark that goes really small on your Twitter icon. But maybe if that opens up, we could be back to having film logos or something, you know, as technology progresses. Who knows? And I suppose that's the exciting thing. We don't know. We've just got to embrace it as we go. Just to touch on what you said about females in the industry, what would you say is something that the young generation can do to kind of help address that balance? I suppose a lot of it might be down to guys as well, helping to address that balance and um, trying to stand up for um, when they become dads that they want um, sort of equal rights in parental leave, things like that. So um, it becomes more usual that both parents have time off and it's equal time. So then employers don't think, oh, you know, we employ the guy because they won't be taking time off for their children. If everyone took the same amount of time off, it would level the playing field, I think. But I mean, that's very much a, a, a governmental thing as, as well. But I think, you know, guys can play just as big a part as girls in, in helping the issue. Well, thanks for answering our questions, Julia. And just before you go, can you let us know where we can find you online? 
yes, um, 31%world.com. Well, once again, thanks for taking time to talk to us. I look forward to seeing what happens in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Design Jones. You can find us online at thedesignjones.co.uk and on social media at The Design Jones. Special thank you to our supporters, SiteGround, web hosting crafted for designers, who are offering up to 70% off for TDJ listeners. Visit siteground.com for slash The Design Jones for more details. Computer Arts, the magazine for people who believe design matters. Adobe, changing the world through digital experiences. And Wacom, inspiring a more creative world.